Hello and welcome to episode 147 of Killer Hangover. I'm Beth. And I'm Bettina. And this is our Halloween episode. Which we're so excited about. We get to record it together. In person. Oh my gosh. We're so excited about this. Happy Halloween episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I have to tell you guys, it has taken us half an hour. All right. Well. To get started. It's been a long time since we've recorded together. in person. But to start with, we're going to do, because Beth got to drink this by herself, mm-hmm. and it All looks my lonesome. really gross right now. But it's it doesn't? Zombie... It's a zombie brain shot. Yeah. It looks like a zombie brain. It does. It does. It's curdled milk. <laughs> yeah. The biggest trick with this shot is do not let it sit. Pour it and look, take a picture of it real fast, and then... Put it down because um, is it took us 30 minutes to set up. So oh, this is gonna taste really good. Look at that. It's so cool looking. Okay, cheers, okay. mom. Happy nice. Halloween. Cheers. <laughs> it's so chunky. I haven't gotten to the chunks yet. <laughs> it does taste really good. It's the Baileys that This is Ghost in the Orchard. Yep. 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 It's really strong. Lots of alcohol. Yes. I'm wondering, because there is no, like, mixer in it. It's almost like it's a shot. Yeah, but that's a lot for a shot. Yeah, it'd be a two and a half ounce shot. I mean, anyway. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so it's one ounce of mezcal, one ounce of apple jack, and a half ounce of benedictine. And then you put it in a shaker ice shake it all up um and then you stir in a bar spoon of maple syrup just like a little splash mm-hmm. in there for some added sweetness it is pretty strong it's called ghost in the orchard i got it on cosmopolitan that uh, yeah right yeah <laughs> cheers mama cheers it's so strong i really only taste the mezcal though i know which i really do like if yes. you're not a tequila fan, mezcal is very smoky like tequila. 
I really like it. That aftertaste is so good. I love Moscow. It's so smooth. Mm -hmm. All right, Mom. Are you ready? I have the true crime this week. You have the paranormal for Halloween. We've had a couple beverages now. (laughs) Time to set up and reset up and set up again. Okay, so I got this from a documentary, and I'll go over and share the documentary at the end because I think it is worth a watch. But uh, our story takes place in Cedar Creek, Indiana. Uh, I'm going to set the scene for you. Okay. I like to do that. (laughs) It is Halloween. October 31st, 1963. It was a chilly night in Cedar Creek. Uh, Cedar Creek is a small town. One of those everybody knows everybody kind of a town. Right. Okay. In an article I read describing the town, it said, quote, The town today is a thriving community with a historical downtown area that offers residents tons of specialty shops, while large Victorian homes dot the rest of the area. Farms cover the outskirts of town. Mm, cozy. <clears throat> Hello, cozy Indiana town. So, again, it's October 31st. It's 1963. And a couple, the Thompsons, I, there's no relation. I mean, there could be, but I don't think so. They pull into their driveway, and they see their six-year-old son, Tony, sitting in the front yard in his Halloween costume. Uh, fun fact, but some resources did say he was dressed as a frickin' clown. Oh. Uh, something doesn't seem right. His mother lifts up the boy's mask. And he just stares blankly. The couple will soon discover inside the home their 17-year-old daughter, Sandy, lay dead. Stabbed to death. Uh, Investigators will soon find it was her little brother, Tony, who had killed her. Oh my gosh. Now, I don't know about you, Mom, but child killers, like... He's six years old? mm Mm-hmm. I think there's a show on that, like children killers or killer children something or something I like watch. that. No, it's really something that doesn't sit well with me. Mm-hmm. It really disturbs me. So I found this topic last year and I wanted to cover it, but doing the research on it, it really left my tummy in knots. And I told you, be prepared because this one will leave your tummy in knots. But then I saw a new documentary came out and kind of like gave the complete story. Okay. So I was like, okay, well now I should cover it. It's very fascinating. So, Tony's six when he killed his older sister, Sandy. Obviously, this is a horrible crime. And he was sent to a mental hospital nearby. Leading up to the killing of his sister, there's not much about Tony that we know in his upbringing. At least from the resources I found. There's no history of abuse uh, or anything traumatic happening to Tony. Tony was just different. And he really fascinated, and that sounds really bad, but a lot of doctors were really interested in Tony and very intrigued in him especially this Dr. Pleasance Pleasance I'm just gonna call him Dr. P because I'm really not sure how to pronounce his name Dr. P so he works with Tony for years to come and it seemed like for majority of the time Dr. P was Tony's only advocate he's the only one who really cared for Tony would speak for Tony because Tony stopped talking after he killed his sister. He went to the mental facility, stopped talking. Um, was he catatonic? Because it just sounds like he it, was staring. I, I, I understand he was. His parents are really scared of him. They they uh yeah. They come to see him, but they're they don't know what to do with all of this. His parents don't understand why and the how of it. So but they do stay in Cedar Creek for a while. All the while the whole town is consoling them and comforting them in this horrendous circumstance. Dr. P spends day after day with Tony. Again, he's the only one who really stays by Tony's side. Does this does, does that fascinate you though? Like being in the same room as a, as a killer, like I would be terrified. 
But if you put the fear aside, wouldn't that be intriguing to try to get to like why a six year old mm-hmm. did that? I it's I don't scary. Six year old would have an answer. It just so according to the a government article I read on ncbi.nlm.nih.gov. I'll link it. Quote, average annual rate of 1.2 child perpetrators per million child population. We estimate for the United States as a whole, 74 children per year were homicide perpetrators. Children. What are they? uh, Is that 18 and under? Yeah. I mean, we've heard of so many, but six, though. That's the one, the number that blows my mind right now. At his trial, Tony received 15 to life with a chance of parole. Um, when that 15 years comes and it's his chance for a parole hearing, Dr. P is adamant he'd go in front of the board and give every reason possible Tony should never be released from the psych hospital. Oh. Dr. P is Tony's advocate in the hospital. He doesn't see Tony being able to live among society. Dr. P will go on to say that Tony is, well, he basically says he's not human. There's just, he doesn't show any emotion, let alone remorse for what he did. And he's vengeful, he's full of anger, and the doctor just doesn't see anything going well if Tony were to get out. That's scary. And this is 15 years later, so. Now this is where the story gets wild. Days leading up to his parole hearing, Tony actually escapes the mental hospital. (gasps) Oh. There's a huge storm causing a lot of the building's mechanics to malfunction, and keep in mind this is... He went in at 1963, so this is 15 years later. Mm-hmm. So he's 21. So it's 1978. So there's not all the cameras and locks and all that kind of right. stuff that there is now. So this huge storm wiped everything out, and he escapes. The whole area goes on alert. There's this big manhunt. Um, and Dr. P, he's a big part of this search because he knows Tony. He had spent days and days right. and days and studying, studying, studying this kid. So, So I want to keep this as... I wanted to keep this story as dramatic as possible with a big twist. But for my storytelling purposes, I'm not a document. My gosh. I'm a person who drinks on a podcast. You can't talk. (laughs) I'm not a documentary. So I can't like have all this cool stuff and make it like movie like. Right. right? So I have to, for the storytelling purposes, I have to kind of ruin the twist early on. Okay. So I'm not going to be as good as a documentary it was. Uh, so while Tony was in the mental hospital, his parents did come visit him a couple times. Okay. And when they came one time, they told him he had a little sister. They had had a baby. Okay. She, they actually brought this little girl with them to see her, him when she was like six. So around like 1967, 1968, the little girl came to visit him in the mental hospital. And after this visit is when Tony started showing a lot of like super aggression. And he became obsessed with the fact that he had this sister. Like, he just got really creepy. I can see that. Mm-hmm. So Dr. P saw this, and this is when he, like, kind of made his assessment officially. Like, this guy cannot get out of here. Cannot be out in society. So now that Tony has escaped, Dr. P is pretty sure Tony, with all of his anger, will try to head to the only other place he'd ever called home, which is Cedar Creek. I mean, where else is yeah. this guy going to go? He doesn't know anything else cedar creek is like 150 miles from where tony had escaped from so no one really takes the doctor serious so they're thinking no way can he get there no and he calls the local police of cedar creek and tries to warn and give him a heads up saying quote be ready for him if you don't it's your funeral 
Okay, so the parents haven't moved. They're still in Cedar Creek. Um, at this point, the parents had moved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think Tony knew that. That was his only other place he'd ever known home besides a mental facility. He was six when he right. went to the mental facility. Right. And I think his parents just kind of moved on. Um, at this point, actually, his dad had died. And his mom was in town but didn't live near the old house and I don't okay I don't think he knew where she lived but he's heading to Cedar Creek so they don't know well they assume he's heading to Cedar Creek but they don't know if he is going to find his mom if they don't or when he's gonna get there they if don't he, or what he's gonna do when he's there right maybe he's just gonna go and they're gonna find him sitting in his house his old house like they'd have no idea mm-hmm. they just know that he is a danger to society. So one officer, Sheriff Charles Cyphers, he believes that Dr. P, though, he believes him um, because when Dr. P had called out there and kind of was like, hey, have you heard anything? Have you seen anything weird? That day, actually, Sheriff Cyphers had been called out to the local cemetery and Sandy Thompson, Tony's sister, who he had killed, Mm -hmm. her tombstone had been taken. Taken? Like it's by? It's gone? By. So he was like, well, this is just really weird that that happened today. And now you're calling me saying that he might potentially be here. Yeah. That's kind of a weird coincidence. So he's like, I kind of believe you. So I'm going to keep an eye out on everything. Oh, by the way, the date is October 31st, 1978. So this is 15 years to the to day, the day. Mm. of the incident. Halloween. Yep, it's on Halloween. So you can assume he is, in fact, in Cedar Creek. But but why? We already talked about this. Besides taking his murdered sister's headstone why is he in town that'd be kind of hard to do you think about those are heavy really strong (laughs) so dr p and sheriff cyphers put the town on a lookout he hasn't been seen so they're just assuming again at this point that he's there but maybe he'll go back to his childhood home so the doctor and the sheriff head there the house has been abandoned for a few years the sheriff knows all about tony thompson at least the rumor of the horror story and everything that had happened there, that a kid mm-hmm. killed a sister. I think it's a small town. Everybody probably of course, talked yeah. about that. So, yeah, here I just talk about how his dad had died and his mom was still living in town with her boyfriend. But since the father's death, the house had sat abandoned. Besides for a few break-ins of local teens trying to see a crime scene, unfortunately. So while they're there around looking at the house, um, they hear something and they go and they look and... Just in time, they see Tony Thompson himself driving away in a stolen car. So now they know for a fact he's in town. How does he know how to drive? That's a really, really good point. (laughs) I actually thought about that a lot during this research. Seriously. So there's a call out for this vehicle. Dr. P and the sheriff go out and they search for the car themselves. And they're searching, they're searching, and there's no sign of Tony. It's Halloween. The streets are busy with trick-or-treaters and families and everything else. The evening then starts to die down. People are turning off their porch lights. They're calling it a night. Mm-hmm. And Dr. P is still searching. He's sick of driving the streets of Cedar Creek. So he parks and he starts walking the neighboring streets. He's walking and then he hears it screaming. Not a normal Halloween boo scream. But like <laughs> screaming like someone is scared or in pain or injured. He runs towards the screams to discover two young children, a boy and a girl, running from a home screaming for help. He knows instantly that this is Tony's doing. So Dr. P, the brave man that he is, I mean, seriously, can you hear the horror music now? Like, <laughs> of this man. Don't go in there! <laughs> okay, and he's real staunch. Yes. Yeah. So Dr. P goes running into the house, you know. He discovers Tony trying to wrestle down a young teenage girl. Tony is shoving the girl around and then draws a knife. 
Oh my god. Dr. P draws his gun and shoots Tony. Tony is shot a total of six times. And then Dr. P goes and comforts this girl on the ground. This girl being Jamie Thompson, Tony's younger sister. But I ruined the twist already before. Really? So he had found her. Holy smokes. He had found her. Oh wait, this is like a horror movie. Then the doctor turns around and he's not there. No, that's exactly right. So, <laughs> mom, how do you know this? <laughs> she had really been putting up a fight. She had actually been stabbed and really beaten up. She really put up a huge fight. She's well, yeah, a 17-year-old girl. This guy is strong. He picks up tombstones. She was lucky enough she was alive because Tony had killed many on his path trying to get to his sister. Really? He had been terrorizing his sister all day. Innocently enough at first. So, like, her story was so terrifying because she kept seeing, like, a man, like, following her. And she turned and looked and nobody would be there. Or, like, a car driving and somebody just, like, staring at her. And mm. it, she just like, got heebie-jeebies all day long. And he was just super innocent things at first. And then this. So, on his terror path to get to Jamie, Tony had murdered her friend Nancy Cyphers. He had hid in the backseat of her vehicle and waited for her to get in. Her death was caused by strangulation. She was actually, ironically, also the sheriff's daughter. Uh, Jamie was the one to find Nancy's body. She had received a very odd phone call from, so this, is, this gets a little confusing, but her friend PJ Souls, um, another 17-year-old girl, called Jamie that evening. And at the end of the call, the call started getting very garbled. And Jamie starts seeing, like, really weird noises, she said. And it was actually PJ being murdered. Holy smokes. By Tony. Mm -hmm. So Why is he going after these people? She Well, he's looking for his sister. I'm, ass I'm assuming. I don't know. Mom, he's a six-year-old who kills people. He can't get in somebody's mind like that. Anyway, so she goes over to this person's house because she's like, that call was so weird. So she goes over to this person's house. That's when she discovered the bodies of her friends the body was posed Nan nancy's body was posed in a bedroom in the bed with the stolen tombstone at the head of the bed Ooh. her other two friends john michael graham and pj soldier found deceased and in the room as well but like i said unfortunately her night is not over because tony was shot multiple times and after jamie was found to be okay the two of them discover that tony was no longer in the there. place they originally thought he had fallen from the gunshots so, Jamie was taken to the local hospital, and Dr. P continued his search for Tony. I mean, potentially this boy from all the horror stories around this small town is out killing people. So, why does all of this sound familiar? The news was on and reporting for people, like, to stay inside and stay safe. But in the reporting, they claimed that a victim of the killer was being treated at a local hospital. Giving away where, that where she was. is. Bunch of ding dongs and seventy whatever it is. It's here at this hospital where Jamie is starting to piece together who this man is. She's starting to like figure out. This she's is starting my to brother? piece together. She's starting to piece together like what's happening by like things she's overhearing and and all this kind of stuff. And at the same time, and this is where the documentary was really cool. But Doctor P goes. Um, they get a lead that Tony was at an abandoned elementary school, and so Doctor P goes with the police officers to go check this out to go try to find tony and while he's there is when the officers tell him jamie is tony's sister, sister. she was put up for adoption and it was closed and sealed documents. she was oh yeah essentially michael i mean tony is coming to get his sister 
So now, <laughs> Tony's now at the hospital. And upon entering the hospital, he apparently, like, slashes a bunch of cars, tires. Of course. So people are trapped there. And then he cuts all the phone lines. And then, this is terrifying, he enters the hospital. Again, can you just hear that Hollywood music playing? Yeah, I totally can't remember. <laughs> As Michael Myers, I mean, Tony Thompson... <laughs> Walks the hospital. I'm so nervous. (laughs) I'm like, wait, 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 wait. This is a slasher. (laughs) This is, oh, Halloween. Ding, 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 ding. Happy Halloween. For those of you thoroughly confused, (laughs) this was literally just the plot of the movie Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Jamie, the sister being Jamie Lee Curtis. Sorry, I locked my screen. Um, I just used the name of the actors <laughs> to play those characters. Yeah, I was wondering. Nancy Cyphers. When's she going to let Michael slip? <laughs> <laughs> I did that on purpose. Because I was like, she's got to be catching on. I could see your brain ticking. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say Michael. Michael Myers. <laughs> Tony Thompson. The actor who played Michael Myers. His name was Tony Mor- Moran, and so I was like Tony, and then I wanted like Michael Myers to to Tony to- Thompson. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Yeah, can't you? The doctor gave it away for me. I okay, so I was doing this run through with Alex to see if he could catch on. Well, you know he's a movie buff, so he caught on like right away. But that's what gave it away for him. And he's like, start calling him Doctor P from the very beginning because everybody's gonna know that actor Pleasant Pleasance. Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea. See, I still don't know how to pronounce it, but I do know that, yeah. PJ Souls was Linda. Jamie Lee Curtis mm-hmm. was... Jamie. Yeah. Lori in the movies. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. It's still a scary. Dr. Loomis was the character's name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just wanted to do something fun. <laughs> Different. Good thing I've got some facts. And not stuff. a true, <laughs> true, true crime, but... Um, oh, I have more information on the movie Halloween. So, did you, how many movies do you think there are of the movie Halloween? Oh, gosh. Is there five? Your mind's about to be blown. Try again, woman. Ten? Twenty? <laughs> Fifteen? Thirteen. There are thirteen Halloween movies. All of them depict Michael Myers except for the third uh, they skip him. They do. They try to do something totally different. Hold on, I forgot actually what the movie was called. Or something. It's like witches. Hang on. Is Jamie Lee Curtis in all of them? Hold on, answer question one. Michael Myers is depicted in all of them, but the third, and that one was called Season of the Witch. Had nothing to do with the Michael Myers story. I have no idea. I think they got so much traction on. The Halloween movies that they're like, and it was a good ending after the second movie where he's like bursts into flames mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my God, he's dead. Like, finally, he's dead. Like, cool. He's never And he didn't dead. even let me finish my, I wrote the whole thing up. Tony's engulfed in flames, captured and sent to Ridgemont Federal Sanitarium where he remained comatose for 10 years until, no, but so then they did Season of the Witch and then they went back to the Michael Myers. Was Jamie Lee Curtis in all of them? No, she was not. She was not in all of them. Um, 
and I learned a lot about this. Actually, people who are like big Halloween fanatics mm -hmm. know that the storyline of like the background of these characters has been a, it's a wackadoodle. Jamie Lee Curtis has a daughter, gives her up for adoption, and that's the little girl that's in Halloween 4 and 5. That's Jamie Lee, that's Lori's character's daughter, daughter. that she gave okay. up for adoption. Then Michael Myers comes after, that goes mute, mm -hmm. but then Jamie Lee Curtis comes back. Okay. So you could count her in, I think, in 10 of the movies. She was only in like 7 or 8 of them, but you can count her in 10 because they did show photos of her. Yeah. Like, here's your mom, or... Here, this was your sister. So people do count her as being in 10 was just a picture. But she quit. She was done with them. But then she was like, wow, this movie's getting so much traction that Killer Hangover podcast is covering it as a true crime. This is not a true crime. I'm going to reiterate that. Not a true crime. Happy Halloween. I thought that was fun. No, it was fun, sweetheart. Good thing I caught on. Okay. Well, dang. <laughs> what? I have some legends. <gasps> and then I have some true stories that friends have told me. They, I just sent out a message and said, friends, I need some... Friends! I need some friends! I need some haunted stories, personal experiences. Tap my dog on the booty. She is just snoring up a storm. Uh, All right, so mom. the first one I'm going to start with is uh from Atchison. Okay. Do you remember Jackson Park? Yes, I remember Jackson Park where somebody hung himself on a prom night. Yeah, that's the story you've heard. But the story I heard when I was going to school was that I was going to cover Sally, the Sally house, but I thought, you I know, that that is in an episode all to itself and I think we need to go visit it first. During the day. During the day. <laughs> I'm I'm I will go on any ghost hunt. You know that. But for some reason, that place just... We'll go during the day. And we'll have other people with us. And we're not going to the basement. No. No, because there legitimately was a witch that lived there that, like... Like, that's facts. Legit. Yeah. She, like, had pentagrams on the floor and everything there. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not going to oh, do Sally. I'm not doing Sally's house right now. <laughs> this is Molly's Hollow. Yep. At Jackson Park. In Jackson Park. Where I used to go drink. Who didn't? <laughs> the story goes that there was a young African American woman. Yep, I've heard who this dated one too. A uh, white guy. It was in the days that that was really frowned upon. Um, and so the townspeople, when they found out about it, they took her and they lynched her in what is now known as Jackson Park. Back then, it was just a open field and then some trees. It is said that supposedly, if you're out there. You hear her scream. You see a um, sh shadow figure of a woman walking through the trees. Uh, all this other stuff. Now, kids have been trying to get into that park to see this, to see whether it's true. We did, when we were in college, try to get into... Uh, Molly's Hollow is kind of into the park. Mm -hmm. It isn't just on the outside. It's, it's You really have to go into you the do. park to get to there. And we tried. We got... A, we got sort of close but then we were chased out by police <laughs> wait is this like at night oh yeah oh i was like i've been there during the day several times 
Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. But this uh, is at night when the park is You closed. didn't say that. <laughs> well, I was like, why are the police chasing you out during the day? What's happening in this park? Well, you only see it at night and hear her at night. Why? I don't know. But you still see the tree, they claim. It's a creepy looking tree. But there's many trees. You're like, that could be it. That could be it. That could be it. That could be it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. One summer, while I was in college, I actually did break in work at the park department. Oh, so you got to go in. So I was mowing parks on the side of the highways, and at night I was a bartender at the Elks Club. It was a pretty cool summer, actually. (laughs) Uh, But I digress. I often had a job of mowing in Jackson Park, which is, a, I mean, you have to agree, it's a great park. There's a lot of trails. There's, I mean, the road goes through it. It's a beautiful. It's a nice park, yeah. It's a beautiful park, and it's the biggest one in A lot of wooded. Yeah, it's a big wooded area. Yeah. So because I mowed there, I also found ins and outs of how to get into it. Sure. (laughs) So this time when we snuck into it to see if we could hear anything, we actually got in and we got by Molly's Hollow. After a while, we did hear what sounded like screaming. But now thinking about it. Is it an animal? I think we freaked ourselves out. (laughs) By sitting there late at night, I mean, it's, you know, after midnight and you're sitting there in these woods that are surrounding you. So you him. didn't hear screaming or you heard screaming? What ghost story is this I song? think we heard screaming, but I think we freaked ourselves out. It could have been an, an owl. Yeah. It could have been an owl attacking an animal. It could have been, I mean, a number of things, which I'm sorry, but that's why I call this one a legend. I totally don't believe it. <laughs> I don't either because there's so many different stories to it mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's again this tree it could be that tree it could be this tree and you're in wildlife so any noises out there I'm not hating on it because it is included in the trolley tour i mean it's included in like all haunted atchison and the fact is stuff you heard it i heard it way before you oh, everybody's you know so it, I mean, it is definitely a legend um but there is no record of a girl being record hung there. of a girl named molly even that was hung there so where do these stories come from then? I don't know. They have to be a little bit of truth because how they have to be a little bit of truth. I don't know. Maybe or there are was. they just people. Somebody just hears an owl out there all the time and they get scared and they just create some kind of story. Or maybe like, there was a young girl, African American girl, that dated a white boy, and then the story just kind of developed over time. I mean, I don't know developed into a horrible sad terror story like that doesn't even i don't know i don't know okay now i'm moving on to my friend's stories okay Okay. so better than your stories yeah (laughs) my friends uh my friend melissa okay her son was playing checkers in the attic room with his grandfather where they always played that was just in what attic room just in somebody in their house their house okay Mm -hmm. what house are we in in the (laughs) attic Molly's house. You're not setting the scene, Mom. Come on. (laughs) When the game was over, he wandered downstairs to join his family, who sadly informed him that his grandfather had died an hour ago. Wait, what? Is this a riddle? No, it's true. He was, the little boy was upstairs playing. You didn't say he was little. So (laughs) Her son was playing checkers with his grandfather up in the attic where they always played checkers. Sure, okay. All right. After the game was done, 
he wandered downstairs, I guess thinking his grandfather was going to go to his room or something. He wandered downstairs and the family was all crying and they told him, your grandfather died an hour ago. He was playing checkers with a ghost. Oh, well, I get that. Well, I That's... think I have to explain this to you. <laughs> no, you didn't tell me he was a little boy. You didn't tell me all the little facts. But that's sad. That's not scary to me. That's sad. No. Okay. Mm. This one I thought was funny. For, I, I just decided that for this episode, I was going to get people's stories. Instead of Googling everything on the internet and whatever, I thought, you know, I'm going to get people's stories. I did not reach out to your sister. But while I was... She gets freaked out by this stuff. While I was writing this stuff, she actually <laughs> messaged me and said, Mom, when I get off of my shift, I need to talk to you. There's a ghost story. That's And weird. I'm like, okay, perfect timing. <laughs> okay. I think my sister is more of a sensitive than I am. Because when we went on that ghost uh, investigation with her, she was up all night that night. And I can turn things like off. Like I just turned it off and mm -hmm. went to sleep and she was bothered by things all night. Really? Dreams and everything. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. We were the one that were investigating and She stuff. was too. She was too. She just did it. I don't, I don't know. But she, yeah, she was definitely, definitely bothered by it. Wow. Cool. All right. Cool. Cool. <laughs> cool. 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 Uh, anyway, so what was her story? Okay. So there was a traveling nurse that uh, worked in the ICU. And, of course, she didn't know anybody because she was a traveling, traveling nurse. nurse. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, there was an accident and there was a young person that was in the room in the ICU that was not going to make it. Huh? Louder. Oh, talk about you her. Keep I'm like, getting, I can't tell you. You keep getting really okay, quiet. Okay, so she, young person... Not going to make it, so her family members were called. The nurse was stationed outside the room, and she was to basically monitor who was coming in and out. Sure. Of course, there was a, a heaviness to begin with. Um, I don't know how people have those jobs. And this elderly man walked up to her, and she goes, do you want to go in? He goes, no, I don't really have to. I just thought I'd just peek in. He said, um, I don't work here now, but I used to. I, I uh, was a doctor here at the hospital. And she goes, oh, okay. He said, yeah. And I had a patient, actually, that died in that room. And it was a young person. And I never got over it. And I think I could have done more. I blame myself for the death. And I just, I just, occasionally, I just have to come and peek into the room and just, you know, and now I see this going on and. And it just, uh, it's its very heavy. It's a heavy burden to me. Now, this is an elderly man, very put together. The traveling nurse said, um, well, I'm very sorry for this, and that is troubling you, you know, the conversation. And he said, well, young lady, it was really nice to meet you. Thank you for doing this, and I'm just going to meander on my way home. Then after her shift, she went down to the nurse's station in the ER, she goes, okay, you know, I'm I'm done. But it was really sad watching that room and, and the person passed away. And uh, it was just, you know, that's part of my job I hate. And she said, you know, there was, a, there was an elderly gentleman that did stop by the room. We had a very pleasant conversation. He was a very nice man. And he said he used to work here. 
and his name was Dr. Jones. That's not his real name. Katie didn't want me to use it. So Dr. Jones. Dr. P. <laughs> Dr. P. The nurse said, oh, that's interesting. Okay, What did he look like? And she described him. And the nurse said, that's really interesting. And the traveling nurse said, uh, why? And she said, uh, Dr. P died 10 years ago. It was, it was him. And she said, yes, it was very traumatic. He had a patient, a very young patient up there. And he was kind of a, I don't want to call him lazy, but kind of laid back. Okay. Mm -hmm. He might have probably been able to do more, but he was just kind of laid back and not too worried about it. And he always criticized himself and had that hanging over his head that he might have been able to save that young person's life. That's sad. But it was the perfect, absolutely the perfect description of this doctor. That's weird. That makes you think like how many, I think we've talked about it before, like how many. How many people do we how pass? How many ghosts do you pass? That we don't know. That you don't know. Or ghosts. Yeah. Or even had a conversation with. They could just it's a be basic conversation. conversation. She didn't have to say anything, and she could have just. She would have never known that she talked to a ghost. No, mm -mm. and she was a little freaked out when she found well, out. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Especially in places like hospitals where people die or have these energies left behind of something sad like that. But or... you don't think of doctors, right? You think of the patients that passed away. True. But here was this doctor that. But I it guess could be. Still a, it could be. Well, I guess he had a conversation with her, so he's not really residual. No, he wasn't. It was. It was full body. Oh, that's full body. So weird to me. Where he could, she could perfectly describe this doctor, and they had a conversation. That's like planes crossing. Crossing, like that's like he's. I know he's still living in his time, and she's living in hers, and somehow, in some way, shape, or form, it they. They crossed paths, maybe because of all the energy of the death that was potentially happening in that room or something that that is, oh, that's so interesting. It is. It is. It's fascinating. So you were like dancing around this room with holy water earlier. So far, these stories are not a grandpa. That's so sweet. And then that one is, it's sad that that's how he's living out his days now. I know. With regrets. It's, it's like, like, how many times does he return there? It was like Unfinished Business, like Casper, another movie. But you know, that's what I just, that's sad. I know. Okay. So the the nurse that was in the ER, not the traveling nurse, the other one, her name was Jenny. And she actually had a personal story that she also passed on to Katie. Who cool. Passed on to me. And uh, she said one evening as her husband and her sat at home, the phone started ringing. Of course, they answered it. There's nothing but static. Oh, oh these static phone call ones. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Um, so they hung up, but this continued. This kept going. What, like the ringing and then the static ringing and then ringing and, and, static, and then static? Ringing and static. And they thought, well, maybe there's something wrong with their phone lines. Yeah. You know? Maybe the, the, first, phone, the call's not coming through. First, they called the neighbors. Phone worked perfectly, I guess. They called the neighbors, and the neighbors were like, our phones are fine. I mean, you know, I'm talking to you. Our phones are fine. Okay. And then they called the, the no, AT&T or, you know, whoever was doing the phone lines. And they said, no, oh, let's run the test. No, tests are fine. Everything's fine. Hmm. So as soon as they stopped checking again, 
The phone rang. Oh, answered it. Again, there's just like nothing but the static and just a weird feeling. So they hung up and it rang again and it just continued like this. Finally, it was like, okay, this is it. We're not answering the phone. This is done. And it rang again. And this time they both had this draw to the phone. We've got to answer. We've got to answer this. They did. And their nephew was at the other end of the phone and he said that his father had just died. And it was almost like... Had he been calling? Did they ask him? Had he, he been calling? He hadn't been calling. That was his first time calling. His first time calling. But his father had died. And it was like the spirit was trying to communicate. Or somebody phone. was. Like maybe somebody that was already passed on was like, he's here now. Or, you know, that could be anything. But it wasn't a living person that was doing it. No, I, I agree. But it was like somebody just saying, they're here now. Or... Like, or him, I'm leaving, yeah, or, yeah, you know. Again, that's not a menacing, terrible story. That's sad, but there is a death. So interesting. And these personal stories, to me, are just so much fun. Oh, they're the best. Okay. How could somebody not be a believer? I know there's a few of you out there that listen and watch us that are not believers. I'm not saying any names. <clears throat> Tom. <laughs> but how can you not be a believer? This is so interesting. Or Alex. <laughs> How could you guys not believe? Our husbands don't believe. <laughs> There's two planes passing. He's in his time zone and I'm in... And my husband's like... <laughs> Say what? I'm going to go to bed now. <laughs> you do your thing. <laughs> you do your woo-woo thing. <laughs> do your woo-woo thing. Yeah. Uh, okay. In Hutchison, Kansas. Uh-huh. There's a legend, the, uh-huh. little, the little boy blue. Okay, so supposedly, I feel like I know this one. Supposedly, um, a little boy used to ride his blue bicycle. Oh, this is sad. All over, and he was hit by a car. Terribly sad. And killed, or hit by a car, ended up in the river and drowned. So whatever story. Hit by is. a car and then died. Yeah, one way or the other. This is nowhere on the internet. I mean, it, it's very hard to find this story. The Legend of Little Boy Blue. Yeah. I feel like I've only just heard it. And it's, it's almost like people in Hutchison know about it, but people outside of Hutchison don't. I mean, there's very little on the internet. Anyway, a friend of mine who grew up in Hutchison was the one who told me about this. Okay. Shout out to you, Brent. He, he and his group of friends were really into Supernatural. Yeah. I mean, they would do the Ouija board and stuff, which, of course, I don't love it. But uh, this has nothing to do with Little Boy Blue, but they'd take the Ouija board and they go late at night and they go to the school playground and they did the Ouija board there. It's like spirit children. Uh, And one time they both, uh, I mean, all of them got this really bad feeling. Now, he said they would go on a lot of paranormal type adventures, but... One person in the group would always, like, do something so that it seemed like it was a paranormal thing, and then they'd fess up to it. But that night, the Ouija board did move. They just got this really, really bad feeling that they needed to leave. But they got a feeling that maybe there was a child there. It's... That stuff is so bad. Because, one, I've been on many Ouija board experiences. You, You... I've never personally made it move myself. Like, me pushing it. But it's moved for me several times. So it's always like, are you doing that? You have to be doing that. You're doing that. 
And then the other person, you have to just totally trust, trust. the person you're doing this with. I have never personally made it move, but I hope my friends didn't do it. But that, that's that's a big deal. Like when it actually does move. When you really have full trust and you're like, oh my gosh, this is really moving. It's such a cool thing. The other thing is, is that it's so fascinating when somebody feels like there's an old man here or I just feel like there's a kid here. I've, it's so hard to explain because I've, I've had that experience right. mm-hmm. where we will be investigating somewhere and I'm like, oh, there's a child here. And I have this instantaneously, I'm just like, I get down, like I get down to like a kid level. And my Again, Alex is like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you kneeling? There's a child here. And he's like, it's 2 a.m. Why is there a kid out? Like, <laughs> Sorry, honey. Just throwing you under the bus tonight. Um, yeah, that's interesting. But they're on a playground, and then there's a spirit ghost. Or spirit, and they sensed, there's a spirit ghost. <laughs> a spirit ghost. Uh, they sensed it was a child. They also sensed it was a girl. And they all had that feeling. And they packed up and left. Did they? Mm-hmm. Were they on a ghost hunt to find ghosts, well, and then a ghost shows up, and they're like, "Oh my god!" They were up. kids themselves. Oh, oh. They also went looking for little boy blue. Little boy blue shows himself. Now there have been several reports of this, but shows himself on the road. It's Kent Road, I think, but along that road as a blue orb. And they will say that the blue orb will slowly appear and start slowly coming towards like them. Like a spook light. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like a blue spook light. spook light. That's what I was thinking the entire time he was telling me the story. Uh, people have reported, you know, uh, stopping their cars. You have to go at a certain time and stopping their cars and then waiting for the blue light to show up. Of course, most of the time it doesn't. Sometimes it does. And then their cars won't start. A lot of reports were saying their car didn't start. But again, I think we talked about this at the Catman Cemetery where people are just like oh, which so... Oh, episode of the Catman Cemetery? <laughs> the last one. <laughs> where people are so like frantic that Frazzled they, they, they flood just, yeah. their you know cars. But there were several reports of their cars not starting. Uh, but this blue light would just come towards them. So... Brent and his friends went out, and they'd gone out several times to do these investigations on Little Boy Blue and never seen anything. But this one night, there is a house out there. They snuck in the woods, I guess, behind this house. And there was a porch light on. It was like a yellow porch light. So they were down there doing their thing and joking around, waiting, you know, are we going to see an orb tonight? And then Brent said it was late at night. And Brent said that he looked up and he saw the yellow the yellow porch light. Then all of a sudden he saw a blue orb come out of the porch light and kind of hover. And then it slowly started coming towards them. And he pointed it out to his friends. And it got so close to them that finally, I mean, they they were like, okay, that's enough. And they took, and they took off running. Oh my god! But it's weird that this light, I mean, this blue light doesn't just, you know, like on ghost adventures and stuff and like you see this orb shooting you know and it sure. shoots away this one had like a path it, it it, yeah and it's almost like it was coming towards them you know in mm-hmm. my mind i'm like so what would happen if it reached you yeah what why didn't you stay put <laughs> well i kind of like him so i'm happy he didn't why stay. didn't you stay put so you had a better story for us <laughs> no we want an ending <laughs> no <laughs> 
no, I like him, so I don't want to find out that something bad would have happened. No, I don't want anything bad happening to anybody with this paranormal investigations. Okay. Oh, no. This is the one that gave me the heebie-jeebies, and that's the why, why I blessed this room. Okay. <laughs> and we say the same Michael prayer. Um, this is a story that my friend Lauren, shout out to you, Lauren. Hi, Lauren. Told me not a personal story, but a friend had told her. Okay. While he and his wife were visiting her and her husband in their apartment. Okay. okay. And we'll call the friend Nick. Nick, when he was a little boy, he lived in a village in Puerto Rico. And it was a small, a smaller village. And then when he was around the age of six or seven, I'm not clear on that one. Just as Nick would fall asleep, this is like that half, you know, when you wake up, it's a half sleep, half half awake, but it's also when you fall asleep. It's, it's just You're like... Just drifting there, yeah. Like drifting. Yeah. He initially saw the shape of a small boy at the foot of his bed. And then he'd just kind of be freaked out and roll over and turn away from it. And then it was gone. But this... Oh, <laughs> be sorry. But this <laughs> continued. Okay. And it progressed. And when I say continued, it, it would... It would show up maybe two, three times a week, okay? And this went on for months, several months. But progressively, the spirit would form. So it was a form of a boy, and then it was an actual little boy standing there. And then it was an actual little boy talking to Nick and saying... Did Nick talk back? No. He was scared he was to just death. just lie there or just look, look at the Just like boy? what? And the little boy was, come play with me. Oh, Come play with me. And Nick would just like shake his head and hide under the covers, you know, and he'd tell his parents and they're like, you're just dreaming. These are nightmares. You know, just think happy thoughts and make it go away. This isn't true. I tell my kids all the time. (laughs) You're just dreaming. So then the little boy would insist, come, come play with me. Come play with me. We'll go out and play. Come play with me. And of course, this progressed. And then the little boy, one night, when Nick turned around, shook his head and turned back, the little boy said, he won't like this. Then it started progressing to be a lot more physical. So the little boy would ask, and he'd say no, and then he'd feel a pressure on his body pushing him into the bed. One night, it got so bad that he screamed for his mother. Now, his mother this whole time is like, oh, he's dreaming, he's having sure, nightmares, you know. Um, but uh, she walked into the room. She saw her son's little body being pressed into the bed. Oh, my gosh. I mean, by an, an invisible force. And the bed moving violently up and down. You know, I don't know what she did or how she ended it, but it ended abruptly. Grabbed Nick, of course, took him out of the room. And then a group of women from the village. And Lauren was not sure who they were exactly, but they came. Maybe they had sage with them. They were going to smudge, you know, the room. I don't know. Uh, but they came and they were talking and to the to Nick. And he was explaining to them what happened and, and describing the little boy. And then one of the women pulled out a picture. Oh, gosh. I love it when there's pictures. And she's like, does this look anything like the little boy? And Nick said, yeah, that's him. That's him. Oh, God. And she then 
told his mother, this little boy drowned here in this house in the pool in the backyard. The pool was still there. And she said, we never were quite happy that he, it was an accident. We were never quite happy with that. It was very suspicious. He was a strong swimmer. And, you know, it's just really weird that he would have drowned by himself. Then the, I don't know if it was a priest or a pastor or somebody from the town, he came and he blessed the house and he felt a very heavy presence. Mm -hmm. And he gave Nick a necklace with a cross or a crucifix, Lauren wasn't sure. And he said, never take this off. Mm. Never take this off. It will protect you because the it had been blessed. So they moved, of course, uh, yeah. the heck out of there. And they actually moved to the United States. Oh, wow. They really moved the heck out of there. <laughs> <laughs> they moved to the United States where Nick continued growing up. And, and then Lauren met him through the theater, I guess. But he was in his 20s. And he and a group of friends decided, oh, wouldn't it be cool to go to, I guess there was a fair or something going on to go down there. And there was a palm reader. And Love it. So they walked into this palm reader. They had their palms read and, and it was his turn. And she grabbed, you know, of course, was looked at his palm. The minute she looked at his palm, she tossed his hand and said, you have to leave. You have to leave now. Get out of here. I want no part of this. There is an evil, dark spirit outside of you. And I don't want anything to do with it. You have to leave. You have to leave. She probably does it to like every fifth person that comes in. <laughs> right? I don't know. I mean, let me find. I've been telling you this story. I don't know, but let me find the, the source here. <laughs> she had seen something dark and didn't want a part of it. Nick has never, ever taken that necklace off. Oh, it's still on? It is still on him. He does not for any reason whatsoever i guess he was in a show they asked him to take it off and he was like nope 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 he refuses to take that off it's probably really arrested what's well not if it's a good sterling you know what, what was that silver stalling sterling good stalling silver yeah <laughs> new york now okay um a baby from new york <laughs> stalling stalling <laughs> so so like there's this dark darkness or something that can't get into him good but i keep that cross on too i don't care if still it's still turning of, me green still kind of lingers behind him or so that palm reader says so the palm reader says he, um, i'd be interested if he'd gone to had readings from like a legit person not just a palm reader at a fair i don't know but probably but, every fifth person but between every on the hour the pastor or the priest telling him there's a dark force basically connected to him where this oh no i am not all, i'm not diminishing any of that times, story you know? i'm not at all and he says he has not really felt anything um because he's wearing the cross and his wife says that nothing has really happened but then they left. My friend Lauren is a sensitive herself. Okay. And she's like, did he just tell us there's a demon around him? Did he just <laughs> tell me that I need to go sage, apparently? That's what she did. Oh, he did it too. <laughs> she, she said, I spent a long time praying. And then I start saging the apartment. Like, yeah. Right? And her husband's like, what are you doing? I would doing? have had the same and idea. She's like, her <laughs> husband too, man? What is it with our husbands? <laughs> she's like. 
He had a demon behind him. He just literally told you the story. Were you awake or did she's you fall asleep like, like Alex? She's like, <laughs> why did he... He's not coming here anymore. <laughs> oh. We're going to his house. The palm reader keeps her, kicks him out of the tent. Why did we let him stay in our house? <laughs> so, yeah, this totally, totally messed with Lauren. Oh, man. Yeah. That's I mean, spooky. when you have somebody saying, and this is the cross, and, you know, I, I will never. And it, like, is crumbled as he shows. <laughs> I will never take this off. That's just. That's a solid metal, though, I will say. Or wood. That's pretty solid. That already doesn't shower. No, it's it's probably metal. And it yeah. Yeah. All right. Now this is one that I got off of Reddit. Oh. So we know that So this is just for spooky season. Yeah. Shits and giggles in spooky season. Yeah, this is a Reddit user Worcester Street. And this is a story about losing track of time on a continental flight. Oh. Oh, I don't like anything about just that title. Okay. I've been flying for about thirty hours. And the flight attendants won't stop crying. This is like a creepypasta or is this a real story? Or we don't know. 30 hours ago, I hopped on a late night flight from New York heading to Los Angeles. She doesn't answer me. After boarding, I saw that I had an entire row to myself. Nice. Take off passed without incident. As soon as I was stretched out for a nap across the row, I slept for a few hours. I don't know how long. But I woke up to some severe turbulence. It's possible that the lights in the cabin went out for a moment, but I was so disoriented that it's hard to say. I checked my phone to see that it was 4.03 a.m., which I figured gave me about an hour until we landed. When I looked out my window, I was shocked to see nothing but wide open ocean. Wait, that doesn't make sense. Well, you said he was disoriented. So. My jaw dropped. There's obviously no ocean between New York and Los Angeles. No, I hit no. the button to call the flight attendant and spent the next few minutes racking my brain for a lake that could have been possible and big enough to explain what I was seeing. I jumped when the attendant flipped off the light. She was, I don't know why she flipped it off. Oh, the, the yeah, flight attendant light. I'll let you catch up. She was <laughs> grinning from ear to ear and tears were pouring down her cheeks. Okay, that's scary. I know. <laughs> How can I help you, sir? She asked. I froze for a moment at her reaction before deciding to just ask my question. Where are we? Why does it look like we're flying over an ocean? She wiped her cheeks to clear the tears. Still grinning widely. <laughs> sir, we'll be landing in about an hour. <laughs> I, uh, okay, thank you, I said. After like she this. left, I checked the clock on my phone again. 4.03 a.m. What was the time before I forgot? Me. Same time? 4.03. Oh, I, I wasn't paying attention. It hadn't changed. I had to have been waiting with my call light on for at least five minutes. And the crying, smiling lady was there for longer than a minute. How was it possible it hadn't changed? Oh, God. I opened up my laptop and saw it, too, displayed 4.03 a.m. Okay. I pulled out my phone started the stopwatch in the app, and spent the next two hours looking back and forth between the clocks, waiting for them to change. <gasps> they never did. I tapped the shoulder of an older woman sitting in the row ahead of me. She looked back an annoyed expression across yeah. her face. When you're on a plane, you don't want to be bothered by anybody. Yes, she said when she asked. Was she smiling and crying too? Nope. Do you know how long until we land? I asked. 
She narrowed her eyes. Well, that flight attendant said it would be about an hour. I shook my head in confusion. That flight attendant, we talked almost two hours ago. We should have landed already. She stared at me as if I was crazy. I was going to continue trying to convince her, but I felt a hand on my shoulder. I spun to see a male flight attendant oh. grinning down at me, tears pinging off his cheeks onto my heck? shoulder. Sir, I'm going to ask you to calm down or I'll be calling the captain, he said with a Please big, call the captain so they can get the hell off of here. On his face. I told him that wouldn't be necessary and sat back. He removed his hand and stepped away. The flight attendants continued to stop by every few hours, offering meals. My stopwatch continued to tick up and is now telling me that I've been on this plane for more than 30 hours. I've explored all of coach and tried talking to some of the other passengers, but they've all told me they're expecting to land in an hour or so. Around three hours ago, I tried getting into first class. I made it past the curtain, but was escorted back by two grinning flight attendants. Their grip on my arms were like iron. Ugh. Sir, the seatbelt is on. But sitting one. on those seats for that long, oh, that'd be hell in itself. Please remain in your seat with your buckle fastened. We'll be landing in about an hour. I'd just about given up hope when a woman came down the aisle dressed in a business suit. She didn't look at me or slow down, but she dropped a piece of paper onto my tray as she made her way to the bathrooms at the back of the plane. I shot a look around before unrolling it. It said, quote, are you stuck too? I pulled out a pen and wrote, yes, it's been 30 hours. I folded the scrap of paper up and set it on the tray closest to the aisle. She left the bathroom and picked it up as she passed. It's been 20 minutes since then. I don't know why, but I don't think the flight attendants would like it if they knew we were talking. It doesn't matter. I have to do something. I'll update you all with whatever happens next. And that was it? And that person never wrote again? You read it? You're still flying. When did they post that? Like four years ago? Yeah, probably. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Oh. Happy Halloween! So that, like, the thing that really scared you was the plane thing. Yeah. Being stuck on a plane would be so scary. Or the demon thing really kind of scared me. No, the thing that scared me was a smiling, crying person. Crying, smiling person. <laughs> on an airplane. But you know what's interesting is how we started the podcast was her choking, smiling, and crying. <laughs> See, it all comes full circle with us. <laughs> Always. Always and forever. Okay. Uh, well, Mom, I mean, do you want to finish your shot? <laughs> well, I hope everybody has a safe and happy Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Resources for this episode. Go yeah, watch the movie Halloween. But um, resources are going to be on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media and where to listen and joining our Patreon. On our website. Go check it out for mom. She works so hard on her website. Uh, yeah. So thanks for watching and listening. Anything you want to add, mom? No, it was fun. It was fun. It was a good one, mom. It was fun. Cheers, mama. Cheers. Happy Halloween. I love you, kid.